Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, uh, we just recap. We're just going to look at uh, a bunch of verses that we uh, looked at a couple weeks ago. I'm sure, you know, it's great for you to recap. And let's just have those verses up. And the whole sermon is based upon these two verses. Let's have them up. It goes like this in Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The next slide is a passage from Deuteronomy. It goes, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And this is a crazy claim that death and life, the power of it is, is found in your tongue. There are about 800,000 words in the English language, but 300,000 or so of these are technical words or scientific jargons used only by a narrow range of specialists in various fields and disciplines. That leaves you and me with some 500,000 words from which to select as we communicate in our daily lives. Of course, nobody carries around a vocabulary of half a million words. Anyone? Half a million words? Nope. Okay, we are in good company. In fact, the average person knows only about 10,000 words and uses only about 5,000 in everyday speech. That's it, just 5,000 commonly used words to communicate a universe of ideas, emotions, events, and desires. Yet those words, limited as they may be, carry enormous power. The power to heal or wound, to encourage or dishearten, to speak truth or to deceive, to praise or to criticize. So we ended off uh, the sermon a couple weeks ago by talking about death and the destructive potential of the tongue, and how we ought to make certain adjustments, realignments in our life to better bridle our tongue and our speech, and not affect a bunch of people around you and be an overall nicer person. And today I'm going to wrap up the rest of the summer by talking about life that's released in the tongue. And this is my sermon title for today, the bit, the bridle and the blessing, part two, life in the tongue. Life in the tongue. Are you ready? Life and tongue. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you f- again once. Thank you again. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of gathering together. Lord, we thank you that we are able to gather in such a manner without restriction, without persecution. Lord, we do not take this lightly that we are able to sing, to shout, to proclaim your name. God, we do not take this privilege lightly. God, we ask that even as we gather here today to hear from your word, that, Lord, you will open our hearts, quicken our ears, quicken our spirit to receive from you. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and it's breathing. It's not an archaic piece of literature that's dead, that's obsolete, but it's practical. It's applicable to our lives even right now. So, God, we ask that you will release such a fresh word over us this morning. Lord, I pray that people will not be impressed by the depth of my research or the eloquence of my speech, but they will be impacted, touched, impressed upon by your Holy Spirit. So Spirit God, we ask, have your way in this place. Come and meet us here today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child, a family physician, uh, whenever we visited him and complained about a cough or flu or sore throat or diarrhea, he would go open wide and take a tongue suppressor and put it in my mouth in my mouth and press the tongue down and it's almost like magic. He's able to tell what's wrong with me, what ails me, how 
contagious or how infected I am. And how many of you had similar experiences? Yes, with a family physician. And that to me, you know, it's a parable of a spiritual reality. It's a parable of a spiritual reality that, that what comes out from our mouths is usually an accurate index of the health of our hearts. Jesus said this in Matthew, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can tell how spiritually mature, healthy you are by what comes out from your mouth. John Calvin family said this, the tongue exists to reveal the heart. The tongue exists to reveal the heart. I'm going to look at James chapter 3 again, which is the scripture we based uh, the sermon a couple weeks ago upon, and we're just going to recap some thoughts from James chapter 3. Let's read it together. Internal voice, I'll read it for you. <clears throat> you know, because, you know, it might overlap and get messy, but James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That's encouraging because I stumble in many, many ways. Next slide. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Next slide. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. I hope you're encouraged by the reading of the scripture this morning. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You know, I'm not going to go into the destructive power of the tongue again. If you want to hear more on that, you can check out the sermon for two weeks ago. You know, we, we talked about um, some realignments and adjustments we need to make in our speech to stop speaking death and negativity over situations, over people in our lives. I get that speaking evil, curses, swearing, that's all bad, right? It's pretty intuitive. Stop speaking death. But the question I'd like to pose to all of us today, myself included, is how do I experience life the power of life that's found in the tongue? Does it purely look like refraining from speaking negativity? Does it mean that if I stop speaking death, that now all of a sudden I'm in the life portion and I'm experiencing the fullness of life that Christ has promised for you and me? Notice James' axiom in the scriptures we've just read. He said this, the mature person is able to bridle his tongue and if he's able to do so, he can master his whole body. Theologians and early church fathers of the past understood this to have a double reference. Catch this. The control of the tongue has both negative and positive aspects. It involves the ability to restrain the tongue in silence, but it also means being able to control it in gracious speech when that is required. Sanctification in any area of our lives always expresses this double dimension, a putting off, but also a putting on, as it were. Speech and silence 
appropriately express are together the mark of the mature. Can I say that again? Speech and silence, appropriately expressed, are together the mark of the mature. A philosopher once said, words are potent weapons for all causes, good or bad. Good or bad. There is life, abundant life, that can be found in the tongue. This principle has brought so much transformation in my life, you know, but often when I talk about this, you, know, you get mixed responses and emotions and perspectives uh, in the room. For some, the assertions I'm, I'm about to make about words having the ability to speak life will cause them to wonder if I'm espousing a doctrine that in the past has been labelled name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, confess it and possess it, or a multitude of other clever mockeries. But the answer is not a simple one. And we've seen it, seen people use it for personal gain, or Sherba Hyundai, but I want a Lamborghini, you know. And we've seen it, people uh, take it to an extreme end and have a dysfunctional perspective on what I believe is a biblical truth. I know I've seen people who uh, have avoided going to uh, medical professionals for certain ailments and sicknesses in their body because they are claiming healing in Jesus' name and they declare it and uh, they stop going to doctors, you know, and that's, to me, you know, it's, it's utter foolishness. We've seen people take it to the extreme end. But here's what we've often been guilty of as a church, global body of Christ, when it comes to doctrines and truths that has been abused and taken to a dysfunctional extent. We've often thrown the baby out of the bathwater whenever theology, doctrine, and revelations have been misused. I've said this before, just as we do not heal an abused child through neglect, we do not heal an abused truth through neglect. Winston Churchill family said this, he said that truth is so precious that she is often surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. That says to me that whenever a truth is misappropriated, whenever it's taken to a dysfunctional extent, I am all the more charged to discover what truth is. And this is something that we have to discover. And the truth is this, that just as there is tremendous potential for death to be released through the tongue, so there is a tremendous potential for life to be released. We certainly do not discount the destructive and hurtful effects of negative speech. Who among us have not been wounded or cursed by words spoken to us, especially by important people in our lives? How many of you? Yes? Just me? Even so, it is best that we understand that God's positive is always greater than Satan's negative. Just as curse words spoken can lock an individual or environment into an experience of restriction, chronic problems, and lack, life words can become the catalyst for breakthrough, health, protection, spiritual revival, and life in every way. Life in every way. A clear example of this biblical truth is how we got saved. How we got saved. Let's have that scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, of people receiving salvation. It says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Our salvation happened when we partook of what was done on Calvary by declaring the words, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. I invite you into my heart to be Lord and King. 
The question of our is this, if we have faith to believe that by a single declaration we were pulled out of darkness and into his glorious light, why do we not have the faith to believe that our declarations can turn any circumstance, trial, into stories of triumph and breakthrough? We sit here, we sit here assured of our salvation because we know the word says that when we declare that we are his, we are saved. And we put tremendous amount of faith and assurance in that declaration. But can I say to you that your declarations have power, have the potential to change circumstances around you. Our words are powerful by design. God intends for our words to be part of the work of salvation. The greatest manifestation of life and life in all its fullness. The formula is such, belief plus confession equals salvation. God's plan for getting us in the kingdom and advancing in the kingdom is the same. Hear good news, believe it, and then declare its reality out of our mouths. There's something about the spoken word, our declarations that God has intended to form, create, impart grace and release life. Are you all with me? Beautiful. Life in the tongue. Life in the tongue. As Christians, we hold on to this belief that God created us. He created the world in which we live in and the universe in which we exist in. We and all of creation are not a byproduct of chance or accident, but we were designed, fashioned, and created. And the word of scripture reveals that the world we live in came into existence by the word of God. With majestic words, Psalms 33 declares, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of of his mouth, all their host. We have the scripture up, Psalms 33, verse 6. Genesis chapter 1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And catch this, in verse 3 it says this, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. In some translations, it translates that, that verse, formless and void, into chaos and disorder. The earth was in chaos. It was in disorder. It was out of alignment to God's intended will. And then God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. The Genesis account of creation shows how words were the vehicle God used in the spiritual realm to make something happen in the physical or natural realm. When God, who is spirit, wanted something material created, he spoke in the opening line of Genesis. We, re- we read that just now, that God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let's have another passage of scripture up, Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of, out of things which are visible. Over and over in the first chap- three chapters of Genesis, as God is performing this, astonishingly complex work of creating the universe. We see the words then God said. God didn't wave his hand. He didn't bang a golden scepter on the ground. He spoke the material world into existence. Follow me. I'm giving you some biblical context and basis for what we're about to explore further down. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we get even more detail about the miracle of mankind's creation. It says that God molded us into his image. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living being or in some translations, a living 
soul. And if you examine the Hebrew root words of those words, living being, living soul, you'll find that it can literally be translated into the words, a speaking spirit. A speaking spirit. We are more than just dust on the earth, flesh. God has breathed His spirit into us. We are not just physical beings, we are spirit beings. A speaking spirit. And the Bible also says that we were made in the image of God, fashioned, created, formed in the image of God. If you could list down one attribute of God that was revealed in Genesis 1, what would that be? God as creator. We were fashioned, formed in the image of a creator God. Here's my point. You ready? The same creative power that hung the stars in that place, that sent forth the planets, that put everything in its place, turn chaos into order. That same creative power lies in you and me. The Bible says that it lies in the tongue. Life. Life in the tongue. It's released through the declared word. When God chose to enter the world he made, he did so by revealing Jesus Christ as no less than the word of God. With history-shattering words, John 1.14 thunders, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he began it with the declaration, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. All through the Bible, Jesus in the midst of darkness spoke life and hope into existence. Constantly in scripture, it was a declaration that took people from their moment of desperation into their moment of God's sovereign intervention. Let's look at some examples in scripture. Matthew 8, Jesus said to the leper, be cleansed. Matthew 8, the centurion said, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. 9, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Let's look at the second last one. Then he rose and rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still, look for. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. He spoke and he left her and she immediately rose and served them. What's my point? The miracles that Jesus performed in the Bible, more often than not, was always the result of a declared word. Life can be released through our words. It's about time we discover the power of life in the tongue. In closing, it's going to be a long closing, so don't get your hopes up. (coughs) Saw people perk up like, oh! You should know by now. I want to talk about three ways you can experience life in the tongue. These are three practical ways and practical tools that have really, really made an impact in my life and I want to share them with you. And you no, know, take, take these things and, and put it in practice and let me know how, how it goes. You know, don't dismiss them right away, but try it for yourself and see what God can do through an act of obedience. The first way you can experience life in the tongue is to talk to yourself. To talk to yourself. How many of you talk to yourself? Yes? Beautiful, yeah? You have people, the rest of you that never put your hands. Maybe you sing to yourself, but talk to yourself. Let's look at this uh, passage of scriptures, familiar one, Psalms 103. It goes like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals or your diseases. I'm going to read a commentary on this passage. The commentator wrote, The psalmist is talking to his own soul and instructing it to bless 
the Lord and to forget not all his benefits. He calls himself to a high priority, bless the Lord, to an incredible passion, all that is within me, and to a disciplined way of thinking, forget not all his benefits. He understands his tendency to drift away in priority, passion, and thoughts, so he deals with this by talking to himself. He may have appeared crazy to others in doing so. This one I inserted, but certainly not to God. As we go deeper into this remarkable psalm, 103, again, he tells his soul to bless the Lord. Another family, familiar passage of scripture, Joshua 1.8, it says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The word meditate here brings about certain connotations and understanding. We commonly understand meditate as sit, be quiet, do not speak, hum. But the biblical for meditate seems to suggest a different idea of what meditation is. Meditate, if you were to translate it from its original text, it will translate to, to speak or to mutter under your breath. Keep this book of law, my words, my sayings, always on your lips. Mutter it under your breath and I will make your way prosperous and successful. You're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. You're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. There's so much life and truth that can be released when we talk to ourselves. I'd like to give you three quick biblical reasons for decorations. This is one of those sermons where there are points within points. Here's one reason. Grace is imparted when we hear life-giving decorations. Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. I want you to view this verse differently. We have the privilege of continually imparting grace to others through our words. But the fact is, we hear our words the most often. But because we are the one who hears our words the most, we can continually impart grace to ourselves through the words we speak. Second biblical reason, decorations are a way to overcome anxiety and become glad. Proverbs 12 says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Last biblical reason, decorations cause us to grow in our faith by regularly hearing truth. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We don't have to wait for someone to speak in order to tap into this truth. In fact, we can determine the amount of hearing of God's truth we would like to have through proactive speaking in our lives. You know, um, there was a time in my life when I was overseas where uh, I'll have all these uh, nightmares, you know. I, I remember a time where I, uh, over a period of two weeks, where every night I'll be awoken by a strange dream, a nightmare. And, and I, I don't dream, you know. When I sleep, I knock out. I, I, I'm just one of those. And, uh, and I remember these dreams where I'll have dreams of uh, family members dying. I have dreams uh, that are, are evil, that are spiritual attacks, uh, and... And it, it, it all came up to a point where I almost felt I lost my, my confidence. And uh, I remember uh, walking past certain leaders in the school I was a part of, and uh, they would come up to me and shake my hand. And as I extended out my hand, my hand started trembling and started dripping with sweat. And you know, it's even more embarrassing to shake a person's hand <laughs> when your hands are, are, are wet and sweaty. And, and I remember I, I felt almost my, my confidence uh, was absolutely gone. You know, and I, and I was in a 
pretty rough spot, you know, with all the, the dreams and uh, losing confidence. And I was a shell of a person. And I remember a mentor said to me, Andre, how about you start declaring truth over yourself? And he went on to say that, Andre, you know, the, the Bible says that we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. Yes? Transformation happens when our mind is renewed. And oftentimes we approach concepts or verses like that with uh, passivity. Hey, one day, man, you know, I'm just going to walk and shabam, you know, my mind is renewed. And then he said to me, it's like, Andre, we, we can practically make certain decisions to position ourselves for the renewal of mind so that we may be transformed. And so um, he gave me a challenge, like, Andre, I want you to declare truth over yourself. And he said this, Andre, I want, to, I want you to declare truth over yourself. I want you to make a thousand declarations a week. A thousand declarations a week. I know I was a student. I had a lot of time, so I could do that. And so what I did was, you know, I bought a book about declarations. There are several out there. John Eckhart has, has some. My mentor, Steve Backlund, has there's great books on decorations, and there's a list of like 100 or 200 decorations. I remember writing some of my own decorations you know, based on the truth of God, like, if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm confident in God. You know, I do not uh, partner with fear. And I bought one of these. You know, this is a telecounter. You can get it from Decathlon, from what I understand. <laughs> Decathlon is so fun. You should go. And I, I bought one of these, and every decoration I made, you know, I'm like, if God is for me, who can be against me? And I'll punch it in, you know. I'm confident in God, and I'm a, I'm a level 10 leader, you know, and, and I'll, I'll speak truth over myself, and what I began to experience was, was actually really profound. I felt as though there was uh, a day-by-day shift in my thinking, in my perspective. You know, I can't explain to you what I felt, but I, I want to encourage you to try it for yourself. And what ended up happening was, after that year, I was positioned for an internship where all I did for the entire year was surround myself and got to be part of conversations with really, really high-level leaders in this thing we call Christendom. And I was thinking to myself, it would be a really, really awkward year if for the whole year I was just a shell of a person, trembling, shaking, sweating whenever I met someone new or what I deem powerful. God did a great work in my life through speaking to myself, talking to myself. The next way we experience life in the tongue is this. We do so by speaking to obstacles. By speaking to obstacles. Mark chapter 11 verse 23, it says this, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says Therefore I say to you, whenever therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Crazy, crazy verse. You know, I'm not gonna unpack it today, but we're gonna do so in the weeks to come. But I want you to catch this note that the word says is mentioned three times in this passage. And the word pray is only mentioned once in this passage. Don't mistake me, you know, prayer is important. It's absolutely important. It's vital to our faith. But so is the way we conduct our speech after we pray. Too often we cancel our prayer petition through contrary spoken conclusions after prayer. I remember a friend of mine, you know, he we once had a youth outreach, uh, uh, a barbecue, and it was raining, and then he prayed like, you know, Lord, I pray that you will stop the rain. But even if you don't, you know, Lord, I'll, I'll praise you. <laughs> and I'm like, so what, what do you want? You know? 
Too often we cancel our prayer petition through contrary spoken conclusions after prayer. But the other truth I want to capture in this verse is this. We are to speak to our obstacles. We are to speak to our obstacles. Notice it didn't say petition, beg God to shift the obstacle. It says this, speak to the mountain and you'll be cast away. Often the breakthrough we perceive we need to petition, beg God in prayer. God has already given to us in the form of this key, this truth. Speak to your obstacles. It is my belief that there are breakthroughs locked up in the unuttered words of unbelieving believers. Now I pass the scripture, Matthew chapter 4. Familiar with this, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. It says this in Matthew 4, Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In his original text, it would seem to suggest that it's not just every word that proceeds, but it's every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. God is still speaking. Amen. And this is the truth I want you to capture through this verse. We cannot think our way out of the wilderness. We have to speak. We cannot think our way out of the wilderness. We must speak our way out. The Bible seems to debunk the belief that there is such thing as a silent, strong Christian. There's no such thing as a silent, strong Christian. But we are all called to speak, to declare, proclaim His truth. Amen? The last one I want want to look at. (coughs) To experience life in the tongue. Is this. To declare the opposite. Declare the opposite. Romans 4 verse 17 says this. God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Joel 3.10 says this. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now you might think to yourself, is this some way of like psychoing ourselves or like mentally conditioning ourselves to ignore circumstances or the things that are before us? I'll say this to us, no, we don't deny weakness. But part of walking in strength is to say we are strong before we feel or seem strong. The spoken word about strength bridles the whole body toward power instead of weakness. Faith does not deny circumstance, it denies it a place of influence. Instead of allowing present reality to determine our perspective, we search for God's perspective and speak it into being. You know, there's a good friend of mine, you know, she, uh, she's an amazing, amazing person. But uh, when she was growing up, she was uh, really impressionable and what ended up happening was she battled uh, on and off with uh, eating disorders, bulimia, for some 17 years. And this was not just a, you know, occasional thing, but it got so serious that she lost such a severe amount of weight that she checked herself into rehab and she's been in there three or four times you know, in, the, in the course of uh, 17 years of, of struggling. And one fine day she said to herself, no, I, I've had enough. And what, ends up ha- what happens every morning was that, was that she'll wake up in the morning, she'll look into the mirror and a voice would tell her, you're fat, you're ugly, you're not loved, nobody's going to love you, you're going to die alone. And she'll look in the mirror and what ended up happening was she would binge eat after that experience and then go back to the toilet and she would start you know, causing herself to vomit. And that happened for some 17 years. Every morning she woke up and a voice would tell her, you're ugly, you're not loved. You're too fat. 
And um, one day she said, no, I, I've, I've had enough. And she made several decisions to position herself for breakthrough, for the renewal of her mind. One of the things she did was she bought a recorder. And in that recorder, she recorded uh, herself uh, reading scriptures. She put in prophetic words that she received from people. But she also declared truth over herself in similar fashion uh, from the way I did. You know, she would speak to life. She would say, you know, you're loved. You're beautiful. You're worthy. And she'll speak these things over to herself. And she'll put uh, the recorder on loop. And she'll plug in earphones. And she'll listen to it every night as she slept. Another thing she did was that she went to the bathroom and she stood in front of the mirror, which was her greatest enemy. And she took a marker and she began to write on that mirror, scriptures, verses, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are accepted. And she wrote truth over the mirror. And the next thing she did, and this is a, a bit interesting, she took off her clothes and what she did was that she wrote these same words of acceptance, of love, of belonging, God's truth, Bible verses. She wrote it all over her body, that which she was always associated with shame. And she stood in front of the mirror. And what she told me was that every morning she stood in front of the mirror, looking at God's truth, seeing truth written all over her body, hearing what is the word of God over the voice of the accuser. And what she said that she felt almost a physical shift in her mind. And in a matter of weeks, 17 years of struggling with eating disorder, shame, not feeling love, accepted, belonging, 17 years of struggle. It's gone in an instance and she's completely free today. Life can be released through the tongue, through our words. In closing, I would like to pray a scripture over us, and that's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I'm ending early. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I'll say that again. Let us hold fast that the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. May we refrain from speaking evil and discover the power of our confession and discover the blessing and life that can be released through the tongue. You know, James chapter 3 compares the tongue to a fire, a fire that can spark off a forest fire, destructive, powerful in its ability to tear down, to destroy. But the Bible seems to suggest that the tongue is also able to release a fire that restores, that encourages, that builds up. The Bible in its account of the two on the road to Emmaus, after the encounter with Jesus, said this, that did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures, as he spoke with us. We have the potential to change the lives of people around us when we choose to be intentional with the words we speak. We have the potential to shape, to chart the course of our lives by the words that we speak. May we discover life in the tongue.